Playwrights. Welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hi, Mabel. Hi, Tori. Good to see you. Good to see you. So I just returned from the Lanford Wilson New American Play Festival <gasps> at, yes, it? at, at CMO at Southeast Missouri State University. It was amazing. Really, they they treat the playwrights like royalty at this festival. It it was truly a blast and the the students, the staff, everyone just wonderful. All, all around, like everyone was just fabulous. And I got to see so many great plays. I only got to see a few nights of the festival, but the in the full length category, uh, there were plays by Keiko Green, friend of the pod, Lindsay Partain, Rachel Green, Jessica Moss, friend and of mine, Maker, <laughs> friend, yeah, well, and now my new friend as well, and C Maker, and I took classes with them, or a class, the horror class the horror in theater class on zoom through playwright center back in the day so i was really excited to see that they were going to be there um and everyone was just fabulous uh, and then i got to see a selection of short plays as well so i was a winner in the short play category Yay. but this it, yeah but this festival i'm just gonna say playwrights um get get your fabulous scripts together make sure you follow the guidelines though they are looking for something very specific for the college-aged folks to perform but everybody there was just wonderful so and they had really great guest speakers too um including the playwrights who did workshops i'll tell you what it, it inspired me i i just felt so filled up and and excited and it made me want to write another play because love that yeah right so everyone check it out my best to all those playwrights so good <laughs> i i want to give a, a super shout out to jessica moss uh i know her as jess jess moss um yes yes uh yes. so i met uh jess at the purple crayon players playground festival at northwestern a few months ago and she's one of those people i i was first introduced to her work so i saw her work there was like a, an event at the library um where they performed snippets of our plays and hers was first and it was one of those plays where i was like oh my gosh like totally i was just enamored with this play i thought it was just brilliant and then, like, you know, Tori, that I'm not the most social human being. But I did something that I never, ever do. <laughs> just, I, I just started talking to her. Actually, I think she came up to me first. And then, and then I started, and then we started, we just hit it off. And I was like, hey, what are you doing for dinner? And then we were basically inseparable until I had to leave Chicago. Um, like, we just bonded super fast. I love her so much. I want her to come out to San Diego. She lives in Canada. And um, I just think she's the best. And I was super excited when you told me that she was going to be at this festival because now you two got to meet and and it's so great. But oh, she she was wonderful. And all of the playwrights, the students just loved them. Like, really, they walked around and there was like a fan club following them. I love it. <laughs> it was the, it was the coolest thing. Um, and Kent Lavoie, you know, is the one who kind of organizes the festival, but it's the students who really run it. So, wow, my hat's off to these students doing, I mean, really making everything happen. They help in the selection of the plays. They are in the plays. Uh, the the staged readings, it was a former, like a, a student that had graduated who directed my play. Her name was Olivia. She was great. Drew is the first student that I met. Drew and Noah, when I showed up and boy, they, they, they made me so feel so welcome and they 
brought us coffee every morning. Can I just tell you? Oh, and I discovered through Kelly um, Scooter's coffee, which was pretty dang good. <laughs> it was it was a fun time all around. That's yeah. so cool. Mabel, what have you been up to? Nothing. Doing nothing. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. I know that you are busy. I I don't remember, Tori. I here's what I here's what is occupying my mind right now. I I had scheduled a reading for one of my plays, just to do a, a table read with friends. And I tonight, after we finish recording, I'm going to tell them I'm calling it off <laughs> because I'm not going to be ready. Because the thing that is occupying my headspace right now is uh, the paper that I need to, to write for my qualifying exam, so that I can. So it's like step one for advan advancing to PhD candidacy. And I really, really want to do a good job on, I mean, like, duh, of course. I want to do a good job on it. But because the subject matter that I'm covering is so, <laughs> I, <laughs> Tori, <laughs> I think I'm getting too precious with my work. So I, I fell in love with the final paper that I wrote for my policy class. I just thought, <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, the professor's going to read it and he's going to think it's brilliant. Like, I loved all of the work that I generated for that class. And so mm -hmm. it's just fueling this. It's all pushing me towards my qualifying exam. And I, I've started writing this paper and <laughs> I love it. This is not this is not healthy. This is not the a good sign. But but that's the thing and I'm like I cannot work on anything until I write this paper. And so I have it's due June 30th. So I'm not doing anything until except that I'm taking a, a children's writing class and I'm keeping up with those oh, assignments. That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that. Oh my gosh. But, but the thing that's really that's really in my head. Why we haven't done, why we haven't put out any episodes, um, it, it's all because of this qualifying exam paper. So sorry, my PhD is getting in the way of Hey Playwright putting out. Because we have all these great interviews that we have recorded. Yeah. Um, the interview that we're, that we're sharing today was recorded two days before their big Broadway debut, and we are now... Um, hoping to post it two days after the closing of their big Broadway debut. So that's how much I suck, Tori. Oh no, you don't suck. It you're you're doing such fabulous work. Please don't, don't you know there, that is not to be uh, thrown under. We've got to really uplift what you're doing because it's it's amazing. I yeah. So we do have some great interviews. Uh, this one is still, it's fabulous. Why do I keep saying fabulous? Fabulous, <laughs> fabulous is a fabulous is my word, word right now. Great. Fabulous is my word right now. But it was, a, it was a great conversation. And so excited to share this interview with Larissa Fasthorse. Larissa Fasthorse is a Native American Sichangu Lakota playwright and choreographer based in Santa Monica, California. Oh my gosh, the list of honors and awards. <laughs> it's like she's a MacArthur Fellows Program class of 2020. Holy cow, a member of the Center Theater Group Writers Workshop, uh, National Geographic Seed Grant, Penn USA Literary Award for Drama, the National Endowments for the Arts Distinguished New Play Development Grant. Uh, yeah, so the the list goes on and on. And she was also a William Empson Center for the Arts Playwright resident. Oh, right on. So, yeah, yeah. Paul Rosalie to so Inge. please... <laughs> Rosalie Inge. So please enjoy our conversation with Larissa Fasthorse. Um, welcome, Larissa. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, we We wanted to just start at the beginning, the way back, and talk about uh, how you found your way into theater. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, beginning. So theater came to me um, <clears throat> as a writer through a, a process. Um, I was a classical ballet dancer in my first career, 
And I was really um, fortunate to do it 10 years professionally, which were dancers, a long career, which is sad. But then you're 30 and you have like nothing to do. Um, and you realize you're going to live a lot longer. And so um, I found um, Career Transitions for Dancers, which uh, was in Los Angeles, and they helped me find script writing as a format. It was written in some way, but never organized. I found script writing. I thought I'd work in film and TV first because that's where I lived in Los Angeles, where my husband's from. And um, went through a period of doing that. It went well in that I sold work. It went poorly in that 15 years ago, selling indigenous work was um, complicated. <laughs> the representation of native people was very different. The way that things were being watered down and cast was very different 15 years ago. And I just didn't have the power and the agency to change that enough. I felt like all I was doing was fighting and I was miserable and unhappy. <clears throat> and so fortunately, I had two TV shows that like didn't make it on air and I was relieved. I thought, oh, well, that's a terrible way to spend the rest of my life, <laughs> being relieved at failure. Um, and in that time, when I was really questioning this journey I'd taken to become a writer, uh, Peter Brocious from the Children's Theater Company of Minneapolis found me. He found me through the Sundance program where I was in the Sundance Native program. And he commissioned me to write my first play. And I've said many times, but still true. I walked in, I went, oh, this is Dancers with Furniture. I get this. I can do it. Um, and so I became a playwright and I, I didn't leave. I've never left um, except, you know, Theater left us for a few years, and um, I actually, as fortunate, I'd started writing film and TV again right before uh, COVID. So I had employment for my family through that time, but now I'm back with a vengeance. I have six shows this year. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you said it was a, a children's theater that first commissioned you. So were you writing TYA to start? So uh, Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis is a Lort theater. So oh, okay. um, they're not under a TYIA contract, under a Lort contract. So it's, it's a large 450 seat house. It's, you know, it's not, um, it's very large productions, large production value. So um, it was under a Lort actually, but it was for families. And then I did end up writing a few TYA pieces after that at smaller theaters. Oh, wow. That is so cool. So could you talk then about how, what, what the trajectory was after starting out at that theater and then moving forward to where you are today? Um, you know, it's, it's a long one. <laughs> it's yeah. A while. Um, you know, I was really fortunate that, you know, before, because of the reputation of Children's Theater Company, you know, I had, before that show even premiered, I had two more commissions to write plays for young people. Um, or well, see, so I don't write for children. I write for multi-generational audiences because yes. that's what um, my family is and what I'm I'm from, and so and my culture is from. So um, I had two more commissions right away, and um, I was kind of off and running with commissions very quickly. And I was um, fortunate that that has been consistent in my career. That I've gotten a lot of commissions. Um, the tricky part, of course, is, you know, uh, getting commissions produced takes time. And so, you know, you have to kind of build up. There's a, You have to do a lot of things at once. And I think that's where my ballet career came in really handy um, because I was really self-sufficient. Dancers are expected. You show them the thing once, the choreography once. They're expected to go home and work on it and come back in. Done. You know, they have it. And then you just perfect it in the room you know they're they're not um the amount of rehearsal time we have is so small compared to theater if we think it's fast in theater dancers get way less rehearsal and um <clears throat> things move so quickly and you're expected to do all this work on your own in your own home and so um i had grown up with that work ethic so when i got to theater um i feel like that really helped me it's you know i was always turning things in, always turning around scripts, always, you know, getting drafts in quickly so that my, my um, commissions got produced very quickly. Um, and I, I got a lot of things made. But as I've, you know, also said before, with this particular, um, we got to this play, um, the Thanksgiving play, I was finding out that my plays were getting produced by the commissioning theater company, because they already had put money into it. Um, but they weren't getting very rarely where the gangs even second or third productions. And that was getting really frustrating. And I kept hearing that the reason was casting because I theaters said they could not cast my plays. Um, even if a play that had one half Native American character, a artistic director called it uncastable. Mm. And I knew that wasn't true. 
Um, but I didn't have the ability to make them see that. Um, so I said, fine, I'm going to write um, a play that is, you know, for white presenting people in one room. And, you know, if you say you can't produce that, you know, I'm still talking about Native issues. And I says, if you say you can't cast that, then obviously it's something else that we have to talk about. It's not the casting. And um, I've said many times, this is my, you know, most depressing success in some ways that I, you know, I had to write white presenting characters um, to have this kind of success to be, you know, on Broadway. But at the same time, um, this, by giving myself that challenge, I really fulfilled it in that this is a play that says all the things I want to mm. say, does the things I want to do. I'm really proud of this play and I'm really proud of everything it says and everything it does with audiences. Um, and so I'm really, I mean, I love the play very much. And so it's working out now. I get to do five plays after this this year, all in this year, that all have Native characters. Oh, my God. Which I have not been able to achieve before this. You know, other writers have. Other writers have had Native cast for some reason. I just have not been able to get them. So now, finally, because of this, I have, you know, five more plays with Native characters for this year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was going to be a follow-up question for me with with the success of the Thanksgiving play. Did you feel like you could have indigenous characters and then our native characters and have it yeah. produce oh that's so great yeah yeah so yeah. what has surprised you about being on broadway oh gosh what surprised me <clears throat> um i would say on one hand it's surprising how much you know it's just making theater. It's all the same. Mm. <laughs> Do the same thing. You still get in the room. You still write, type things. You still print them. People still have to memorize them. It's got still got to figure out where to go. <laughs> you know, like all of that's the same. Um, the people are the same people. I was, you know, some of them I've worked with off Broadway, etc. Um, so that's all. The process is the same. Um, you know, I will say the resources are kind of awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, I they fly me first class. I'd never been flown first class on purpose in my life. Uh, so that was exciting. Uh, I had my apartment. I, you know, I've had other apartments with theaters in New York. Uh, it's the first one that has like a separate bedroom with a door and, and a laundry unit, like in my apartment. It's incredible. I've never had those things. So that's exciting. Um, yeah. So that kind of stuff is fun. Or like, I hate, you know, it sounds silly, but I was at the snack table one day and I was looking through this bag, a you know, box of like sorted chips. And I was trying to find one of the popcorns, but we're out of it. And someone happened to know this and said, oh, what are you looking for? I said, oh, I was just looking for a popcorn, whatever. And, you know, I just took something else. The next day, an entire box of popcorn showed up. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you got to be careful what you say around here. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I was, you know, which was lovely and sweet. But I was like, oh, gosh, I got to be careful. <laughs> Don't ask for something because it's going to show up. So, you know, all that's, you know, little things like that sound silly, but they're like little quality of life things that are really nice. <laughs> and you're so tired. Um, and then the tension is very different. You know, I'm doing um, hours and hours and hours of press, um, which is fantastic and awesome. But it's 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 very different. You know, I just before I was talking to you folks, I was talking to Vogue, and you know, that what? is um, <laughs> you know not something. I'm talking to the Guardian tomorrow. Like these are not things that happen um, with regional theater and off Broadway. So. Wow. Well. Yay. Happy to be part of well, your press you. junket. Yeah. <laughs> Tori and I, as I mentioned earlier, are, we're teaching artists. So we're really interested in the work that you have been doing with communities. How important is, is that to the work that you're doing? Doing theater in communities that may not necessarily, that this is, um, I wouldn't say that theater, because I believe that theater is for everyone and we all have ancestral roots to theater, but what we consider American theater is not necessarily, um, it doesn't invite marginalized communities in all the time. So how, um, how is that work that you do with your native communities? In, like, how has that changed with your success with the Thanksgiving play? How, or is it still different? And are you, we know that you did this trilogy with um, Cornerstone Theater in Los Angeles. So can you speak to that? And also I want to know about your radical inclusion process. What does that mean? Yeah. So yeah, there's a, um, so I'll let's see. Um, so I've always worked with communities, um, either on my own informally or formally with uh, theater companies. Um, I have um, always included community as a part of what I do from, that was what was so beautiful about theater to me was, you know, they wanted to include community, wanted to include paid consultants and, um, 
you know, my first play we had at Children's Theater Company, we had a paid elder, paid language consultant. We had um, hired all these native artists in the area to do um, different commissioned artwork in the lobbies and things um, to perform, to cater, you know, all these different things. I, um, you know, it was really uh, just natural to my way of working. Um, but then at other times it's been more formalized. So the plays you referenced that I did with Cornerstone Theater Company, and I'm still doing with Cornerstone Theater Company, uh, we work with indigenous different indigenous populations uh, with a kind of a hybrid of originally starting with the Cornerstone method of community engagement as our base, with my partner, Michael John Garces. And then um, we have taken that process over the 10 years we've been doing this and really indigenized it and made it very specific to um, indigenous ways of commun communal ways of working and um, indigenous ways of, of framing things. And so that work, I mean, to me is, you know, that's the most important work I do. Um, I love, you know, that's my heart work. It's every, I love to be doing that all the time. Um, I, it's, you know, we spend an incredible amount of time. It takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of resources to do that work. We work with so many different community members. We pay people, we hire people. So I'm actually, um, the day after I open here on Broadway, um, I take my mother home to Los Angeles and I turn around, get on a plane and go to South Dakota for our, our third piece with Cornerstone. Um, and Michael John Garces is my partner. And we will be working with my people this time. Um, Yay! The Lakota people um, and Dakota and Lakota people. But, um, you know, it's really in doing a piece that's going to be touring the state. It's a culmination of five years of work um, because of you know, COVID interrupting us for quite some time. Um, so I'm really thrilled. Hey, and listeners, you're hearing some theater noise in the background. I'm in a theater. <laughs> That's just how it is. Um, so our, writers don't get an office. So here I am. Um, so, uh, so we, we, we're going to be doing that work. You know, we're still doing it. I will say the difference in like, you know, me having, um, you know, the, the kind of success I've had is in fundraising mm. because this work is incredibly expensive. It takes a lot of years of work. It takes a lot of people. You know, we're going to be taking a bunch of Lakota performers and, you know, having us all living together and traveling around the state and paying people for, you know, several months. Um, it's a it's a huge commitment and it takes a lot of money. And so, you know, I'm able, I often say I use theaters of money laundering, you know, like I can use the success, the shiny Broadway thing over here and this MacArthur over here and then get that to get money that I can funnel into native communities to hire these indigenous folks to work with us and tell their own stories in their own ways around this, around the state. Amazing. So what does this project look like at the, at the end of, of fit? Is it, do you know, do you already have, is there, is there a framework for what this is going to look like? Yeah. yeah. So that's what, so we've been, we're at the end now. So yeah, um, you know, we don't know when we start, we have no idea what it will be. Each of these plays has been, or, or events has been incredibly different um, based on what the community wants. I, you know, it often takes like the first year to just convince community that we have no idea what we're, what we're not going in. So most people come into indigenous communities as artists and say, I'm trying to make mm -hmm. this, you know, help me make it. And it's like, that's not what we're doing at all. We're coming in saying, we have skills as theater makers. We have resources as a theater company. This is what we, these are the tools we have. We have a certain amount of funding or the ability to raise more funds. What, what's of use to you? And how, what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? Who do you want it said to? Where do you want it said? What forms are interesting to you? And so it's been very different with each piece, radically different because it's based on what we come in with nothing, like just, what do you want? Um, this particular, this third piece will be the most um, traditional Western theater looking of the three pieces for a couple of reasons. One is the community has concerns about COVID and continues to, um, especially on reservations. And so we had to, unlike our last two pieces, which were much more immersive, we had to say, you know, we're going to have to separate the actors. We don't want to become a super spreader to all the reservations in South Dakota. So we've separated the actors in a much more traditional way where they're over on here and the audience is over there. Um, not necessarily on a stage, sometimes in a stage, sometimes in a powwow ground, sometimes in a parking lot, sometimes in a field, you know, just wherever. But just because we don't want to be those folks. And that was a community concern. And so that's how we address that. It said, well, we have a tool in theater 
where we stick the audience over there and we put the people of performers over here, which is not what we usually do, actually. Mm -hmm. So um, this will be the first time Michael and I have created a play like that uh, in the community. And so, um, you know, there's that. Um, and then we had to find other ways to do community engagement where we involve community members. So there'll be, there'll be folks performing their own written and created pieces again on their own so it'll be they'll they'll be in the same space that the performers uh the, the touring performers just were but then they'll be doing their own pieces that an advanced separate team that's testing every day will be you know uh creating with them so again we're not mixing our touring mm -hmm. people with the local folks for safety so you're bringing in some touring actors to portray some other parts or are community members uh acting in the yeah these are well the when where you have a touring cast um, out of the, how many are there? Eight, six of them will be hired locally and then uh, as local folks. And then two of them will be our um, company members, Cornerstone. Um, of which will be playing major roles. That's generally how it works. Um, one of them is an indigenous performer, but um, not from South Dakota. And the other one is plays our token white guy and everything. Peter Howard, poor thing, has played so many horrible roles for me. Um, and so, but you know, they um, they're there more because the majority of our actors in all these plays have not, perhaps, never acted in their lives. Um, some have, many haven't. Then they're more there as just kind of a help. You know, oh, this is how we learn lines. This is you know, how we do staging. This is what they're talking about when they say to take five. People honestly don't, that seems obvious to us. Like take five, what? You know, like people like, they don't know. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, so it's, uh, they're there just as kind of helpers and, and, and resources um, to our community actors who are now our professional actors. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Could you talk about your definition of self? I heard you talking about, I saw a couple of videos and, and heard a podcast where you talked about it. And I, it, it's, it's so lovely. I wish it, could you share? Yeah, that's actually, it's not mine. It's Lakota. Right. So um, the Lakota uh, way. So in the original Lakota language, um, there wasn't a way to refer to, um, I couldn't refer to myself alone. It's just a singular there wasn't a word for that as a single solitary self. Um, the only way I could refer to myself in the original language was, um, this is how it was taught to me, was um, in relationship to others. So I, um, and, and those relationships are in um, circles so that I just get, you know, so my closest circle when I look around myself is my relationship to, you know, as daughter, um, as sibling and sister, and then you get bigger and suddenly I become, you know, friend or cousin or wife or what, you know, whatever. Those are my, have to be my relationships. Um, I don't have, except I don't have a sibling, but, um, you know, so the, the, those, and they just continue growing out farther and farther and farther into infinity to the whole universe. So mm -hmm. your, your um, definition of self is based on how you define yourself in relationship to others and in these circles that just keep growing and growing. And so, and then there's different names for each of those circles. Um, so, you know, like I'm talking about my, you know, uh, different layers of, of, of closeness and, and de self-definition. There's names for each circle and where the people are that you're relating yourself to on each of them. Um, and, and like I said, it goes out to infinity, you know, because we're all related to all things. Um, and so it's, you know, I have to always then define myself by my relationship to others. And so I always have to be thinking about those relationships and how am I serving them and how am I a part of them and what is my role in that circle. Gosh. Mm. So then I think this is kind of a, a follow-up ties in with that and community, you know, all the community building that you're doing when you create these pieces. Um, can you talk about how that ties into social justice, the work that you do in theater for that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very core to, I'll just say specifically as a Lakota person, I'm sure it's core to many people, but as a Lakota person, it's very core that 
um, we're supposed to be doing everything thinking of the next seven generations. So it's always everything's being thinking about others in somewhat my place in the circle, thinking about the generations to come, seven, seven generations to come. Um, and what how what everything I do is reverberating at least that far. And so, um, you know, someone was asking me earlier about uh, the fact that like I do I give um, these, I guess, cultural competency trainings I offer to all the theaters I work with. I call it Indian 101. Um, and it's cultural competency and just getting folks ready to have, because I'm almost always the first Native American playwright they've had in their space. So getting folks ready to work with a Native artist, to welcome Native people, to audiences, to perhaps, you know, not in this play, but in future plays this year, to have Native artists on their stage. We had Native designers and people in the directing team, you know. And so I'm just getting people ready for that experience. Um, and they're like, well, does, don't you resent having to do it? Because it's all free labor I do that other playwrights don't have to do. And they're like, don't you resent that? And I was like, no, I don't, because that's, Again, one, that's the privilege of being first. So it's my privilege as the first one to um, do this, to enter this space and say, oh, I need to make this a safe and welcoming space for my co indigenous collaborators and audience members. And two, you know, I'm always thinking, well, yeah, but that means hopefully only one generation now, but for sure seven generations from now, they won't have to encounter any of this. They get to just walk into the space and be a playwright. Mm. And they don't have to do any any of this training or any of this you know, uh, you know, education that I'm, I'm giving. And so it's a privilege to get to do that. So that for those generations coming, like, I'm very privileged that I get to take that on so that they don't have to. And that's just basic, basic, basic Lakota. <laughs> this, is, this is what we do. Um, our goal is always like, how are we serving the community? How are we serving those coming behind us? And so I get to do that by doing this additional work, which certainly is tiring at times and frustrating and um, takes its tolls in its own ways. But I always know that that means someone else coming behind me doesn't have to do it. And that's worth it. Is that consulting that you're doing? Is that with is that what you're doing as a playwright going into the room or is that with indigenous direction, the advising arts group? I do both. Okay. Um, so I do it on my own for every, I offer that to every oh, theater I work with. So great. And then we also have our company where we do get paid to do that work. Oh, can, can you talk about that group? Yeah. So indigenous directions, the company founded um, with my partner, Ty Defoe. Um, and he and I started this company. We realized now it's about five, six years ago now. Um, and we are a consulting company that works with folks who want to generally entertain, mostly in theater, but in entertainment, um, who want to deal, um, engage better with indigenous art audiences and artists. So we work with different organizations to do, uh, engage better and find different ways. You know, we, every company is different, what they're looking for. Sometimes it's just about a specific project. Sometimes it's a company wide, like, um, we've had a long partnership with the Guthrie, um, that started as just um, consulting about their processes, turned into a long community engagement um, program that they did that embedded Indigenous community into their space and their organization that has now morphed into production. We're doing our, our full production um, this fall of a play called For the People that Ty and I co-wrote that has been inspired by all of this work. And so it's all, and it's gonna be hiring local indigenous folks that have been working on with us through the through all these you know, phases that have now moved into full production. It's the oh, first time wow. for them, they've had a project go from community engagement to full um, production departmentally. Um, so it's, it's a real win uh, for them and everybody <laughs> because you know that's the work we've been aiming toward all this time. We're gonna do other things too. We've been working with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade for three years now. Um, we had, you know, the first year had them say the first land acknowledgement to millions and millions and millions of people, uh, which is fantastic to open the parade. We've had, you know, Wampanoag people speaking their language each year. Uh, we've been slowly pulling the turkey, I mean, the pilgrims out of um, Thanksgiving. A lot of people haven't noticed they, very quietly. Tom Turkey, who opens the parade, used to be a pilgrim with pilgrims riding. Um, they're no longer pilgrims riding him and he's now a show turkey. He's wearing a tap hat and a bow tie and he's going to a show. Um, so, which is perfect for New York. Uh, so, you know, there's just, you know, little things, little and big things we've been doing. There's now a permanent indigenous float in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade that was designed 
with Wampanoag um, clan mothers and artists. And so it's really been, you know, one of many processes we've had with different theaters and um, organizations around the country to just help them change and do better. I think it's incredible how how much how much impact your work has had on I mean just the Macy's Day parade is such a such a huge it's a cult, it's an American cultural institution and and yeah. to to have to be responsible or to be a, a driving force in in such a significant change is is quite incredible. That's yeah, it's been amazing. It's been an incredible privilege. I mean, because you get to hit tens of millions yeah. of people, you know, with that. Um, it also, though, has unfortunately granted me the, like, Thanksgiving Indians, <laughs> the new Thanksgiving oh, no. Indians. <laughs> I mean, man, starting October, requests start rolling in <laughs> for me to talk oh, about things. Oh, no. No, oh, no. <laughs> between this play and that, it's like, no, you need to talk to Wampanoag people. Oh. They're the Thanksgiving Indians. <laughs> Wampanoags, Pequots, you know, you need to talk to those folks. They're they're the ones that uh, you actually need to speak with, not a Lakota. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, we were just out hunting buffalo at the time. Like, we didn't even know what was going on. <laughs> so. And I think you, you, you bring attention to a great point. Just, you know, you make progress, but still there's the... the um, that idea that we still essentialize, right? That that it's a one size fits all solution for for different cultures, right? So it's like we have we, there's still work to do. Um, yeah, I guess bringing it back to the Thanksgiving play. Um, so we so Tori and I live in in California. We so we didn't we haven't had a chance to As see. Do I? Yes. Yes. Southern California. Yes. Yay. We're in San Diego. Um, but uh, we heard that there were some there are some differences. So we were um, able to listen to the LA Theater Works version of the Thanksgiving play. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. what are some of the the changes that um, can be seen in the Broadway show? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, two things, right? First off, it's just such a much bigger house, and it's Broadway, and so there's a certain expectation you know people have to see a Broadway show. You know, what makes a Broadway show, and and you know they're. Um, <clears throat> to be perfectly honest, spending a good deal of money, you know, perhaps an inappropriate amount, but that's another conversation we can all have. Um, but a good deal of money on a show that we want to make sure they feel like they, you know, had a, a Broadway size experience in this beautiful house that we're in. And um, <clears throat> second, I have Rachel Chapkin directing and Rachel is an incredibly um, theatrical director. You know, she does you know, Hades town and um, Tosh Pierre, the great comet are the Broadway shows people know of hers and that she's been directing for years and years and years so many things um but they're you know hugely theatrical works her work with the team um you know i first knew rachel 10 years ago um from her work with the team and that was so theatrical on like a zero budget you know it's <laughs> just like but, but what she creates and her understanding of space and and theatricality is just incredible so um you put those things two things together it's gonna be different you know and um so we have done a few things. Um, one, the uh, interstitial scenes uh, of children, or we filmed them with children. Uh, so we had two dozen children that we worked with and did a full film shoot to recreate these pieces that I found online of children doing really offensive Thanksgiving things at schools. And then um, there's also, I think, a lot of theatricality in, in just space. There's, you know, the set not going to give it all away but the set moves there's things that happen you know it's it's big and it's it's um yeah so it's, it, it, and it's a it's a big stage i'm looking at the stage i keep gesturing to it it's a big stage and <laughs> there's a lot there's you know we really use the space and use use it well and um it's very that's really exciting and then we have these incredible you know star actors who um you know having these people that are such incredible fantastic performers but also have their own reputations and their followings has, you know, changes things in a way. And I, as part of my work, you know, that we just spoke about being collaborative and working with communities, I, you know, this was my community. So we worked together collaboratively to really tailor these parts to these actors and mm. to make sure that it fit their, you know, greatest um, skills and felt like their production. Um, I believe Concord said they're going to be coming out then once this is set, Thursday, yikes, in two days, um, we will, they'll be um, quickly reissuing a Broadway version of the play, which will have oh. all the changes incorporated. Yeah. Wow. Yay. Exciting. 
That is exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, so you received the MacArthur Grant a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, can you talk about how it changed your life economically and and then what does that say about who creates art, right? Because most playwrights cannot don't find it sustainable. We, we work mm-hmm. other jobs in order to support our art. Yeah. You know, I've been really fortunate um, that I have been able to, you know, sustain myself with playwriting for a long time. Um, yeah, I live at the poverty level, <laughs> but I came from ballet. So, you know, that seems normal to me. <laughs> I never knew anything <laughs> different. Um, <clears throat> and then I have a partner who is um, had his own home, but he's a sculpt- sculptor, which, you know, is a, much harder business than playwriting <laughs> and it has much longer periods in be- of creation in between so he had his own little home you know, like home business that he'd created that he could work in between things and so between that and my playwriting we you know we were able to survive um primarily off of our art you know occasion you know bits of his side job um so we've been fortunate for, in that way for quite a while now <clears throat> I, I think my last day job was at least 10 12 years ago yeah um, but that being said, um, you know, we were living at the poverty level often and below it often. Um, the MacArthur was, um, you know, came at um, unfor- an unfortunate but incredibly um, needed time. My father developed, my 92, no, at the time, 94-year-old father developed um, COVID and developed long COVID and needed full-time care. So. Uh, I'm, we're very fortunate because I don't know what people would do. We would do, you know, um, basically my entire award went to caring for my parents. Um, if that hadn't been the case, I would have had to, you know, one of us would have had to stop working and take care of them full time. <clears throat> and I think that's what a lot of people end up doing. You know, that's why I, you know, I talked to people. It's like, we were not prepared for how expensive elder care is in Southern California. It's incredibly expensive. And we were not ready. My parents weren't, it sounds crazy because he was 94, but he was in incredible health going up and down flights of stairs, you know, perfectly fine until COVID. And, um, you know, the, the change was so drastic and literally overnight that uh, we just weren't ready. And fortunately, I just got the MacArthur, um, you know, right before that. So we were able to care for my parents um, until his, he passed away two years later. Um, and we were able to, you know, care for them. And I was able to keep working and my husband was able to keep working in a way that we would not have been able to do without them, without the MacArthur. And I, you know, it's, <clears throat> someone has you know, said to me recently on Facebook, they're like, you know, what does it say though, that you have to win a MacArthur to be able to care for your, the healthcare needs right. of your family? Like, that's just nuts. But that's, you know, fortunately for me, that's what happened, you know, that I was able to, but I, I don't, you know, I would have had to stop working or, or wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now and, you know, be traveling for eight months of this year to work um, if it wasn't for that. Oh, my I'm gosh. Deeply, deeply grateful. Wow. Uh, wow. I know. I'm just sitting with that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's wild, right? I mean, I don't think people have any, we had no idea. We were not prepared. And I talk to people a lot now about, you know, elder care is way more expensive than childcare, <laughs> way more. Um, so yeah, you just really, I think most of us are not prepared for how much it costs and we're all going to need it at some point. So start saving now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you have many productions coming up after, after the opening of um, the Thanksgiving play. One of them is the Peter Pan musical, right? How can you talk about that and how you approached the writing of the book for that production? Yeah, so um, Peter Pan is the last one of this year. <laughs> uh, we're going to be starting it um, in November, basically. Um, I was, you know, I was filled with a lot of trepidation. I, I immediately, actually, essentially just said no. I wouldn't even consider it. Um, I didn't want to be known. I have a couple other projects. I'm attached to large musicals that are you know, I'm basically fixing, if you will. I just like, I don't want to become the fixer. Um, however, my wise agent that's been with me from the beginning said, look, just it's the weekend, just read it. You know, I'd never seen it. I'd seen it once as a teen from the very back of the Muni. So it was like this big, it was like two inches across um, from where I was. 
and I'd never read it. And he's like, just take the weekend and read it. You know, it's worth just looking at. And I read it and I was <clears throat> honestly, I was, this is the um, Jerome Robbins MTI uh, Broadway version. And I was like, wow, I hadn't, it's really good. <laughs> like, and it's really funny. And it's really, I mean, it's magical and it has all these fantastic things. And I was really surprised. I didn't realize how, I didn't realize how good it was. I'd only heard the bad. And um, especially as a native woman, I'd only heard the bad. And so it was really a surprise. And I was like, wow, I get it. Like, I get why this piece has endured for so long. Um, so I agreed to be a part of it. Yeah, you know, I met with everybody first. And Lonnie Price is just, you know, he's this incredible human and director, but just mostly an incredible human. And if he cannot infect you with enthusiasm, nobody can. <laughs> so I met him and I fell in love with Lonnie and I fell in love with the producers, um, networks with Orrin Wolf and with um, Jeff Richards, who I already knew. And so I was like, yeah, I got to do it. Um, it's been a journey. You know, it's still, we're just still in it. You know, I've only turned in the first couple drafts. Um, there'll be, you know, I'm sure a thousand more to go. Uh, but it's, um, it's knowing that the piece didn't have to be reimagined. It just needed to be fixed. was actually really easy, helpful. Um, although actually everyone always says that, but then the fixes are pretty big. I think most people don't remember there was a three act play with two intermissions. I mean, and we just don't do that for what? a family audience. Oh anymore. Yeah, it was huge. No. And so it was over like, it was, I had to run over three hours, you know, it was just wow. massive. And so the first thing we had to, I had to do was completely restructure it. So taking out an act break is, actually not an easy thing <laughs> you know that's that's all just you know craft you know to be able to restructure the thing and move everything around and make it so we go out on a good number and come in on a good you know and do all that um it was really hard to do to be perfectly honest um the first act break was when they fly off to neverland like how do you keep going from that <laughs> oh we my gosh to, but we we're only 20 minutes into the play so we had to keep going you know so i had to oh. come up with something better than flying off to Newfoundland. Oh so, you know, that's not easy. Um, but I think we've done it. We feel we're pretty excited about it. And um, so, you know, that's, you know, things like that had to be done structurally first. That was the very first thing I had to tackle is how do we restructure this? And that's stuff that we're still kind of wrestling with. And then obviously the indigenous folks and women, uh, you know, oh we are gosh. not like, Wendy and Tinkerbell have like the women have scenes and they talk like amazingly that never happened before. <laughs> so, they talk to each other. It's wild. <laughs> um, the women in the show like relate see each other as women. Um, and that was something that hadn't happened. I mean, not Tinkerbell. I'm sorry. Tiger Lily, my brain. Tiger. Uh, Wendy and Tiger Lily talk and uh, they would never had a scene. It's just and, and it's like, wow, I went through all these versions like, oh, they've never they never do things and, and even now we're still uncovering things that are assumptions um from the old play as far as the role of women because i remember at one point something came up when people were like well you know well i was just saying well this isn't fun for wendy like this is actually really awful this particular scene i was like this is an awful experience so like well what was it in the original i was like well in the original she was sewing she was cooking she was cleaning and that was assumed it was assumed that that made her happy and fulfilled mm. like that actually was the reward <laughs> was and like that's mind-blowing today but and it took like everyone was like wait what and we look back at it, they're like you're right like we're just assuming she was having a fantastic time because she was the cook and the maid and the seamstress <laughs> oh <laughs> and that my made gosh it her a fulfilled happy woman you know <laughs> and it's just like you know, it's mind blowing. We realize how deep some of these things are like, okay, we got to get that out of there. <laughs> you know, And so, but then you have to replace it with something while still staying true to the beauty and the magic of what it was and with the, the berry and all that. So, you know, it's a trick. It's, it's a constant, like, I feel like I'm always kind of on this tightrope of, you know, honoring the beauty and the hilarity of the original and the magic while also trying to make sure like, yeah, Wendy has to be fulfilled by more than sewing <laughs> like that's not gonna do it today <laughs> and that's just well that's not and there's not that there's anything wrong with sewing or cooking or right, any of those i right, love right, right. i love baking but you know it's not going to read to an audience of girls today to be like she must be happy and fulfilled because she's sewing <laughs> you know it's like that's just not going to work so we have to you know give her more than that 
what is the experience of having children in the audience? What is what is that like for you? Like hearing their reactions, doing that work, and and I know you said multi generational audiences because I consider myself a multi generational. Um, yep. That's the work that I do. Um, but but hearing hearing from from youth, from children, theater goers, mm-hmm. what's that like for you? Yeah, I mean it's fantastic. I mean because they're so honest, you know. Yeah, my plays. I don't. I mean, I'm sure someone has done them, but my plays are always done for the whole family. So I, I make it so grandma to little little littles can come, um, and I want it to be an experience they can have together. Um, so that's the only way I've seen my plays done. Um, I'm sure somewhere someone's done them with just little people, um, <clears throat> but I wasn't present for that. But I, what I love about children is they're just honest. You know, there's you can't get away with anything false. Um, and people always assume the opposite. Like, oh, you can, in fact, that's a line in Thanksgiving, but you can do whatever. They don't care. It's like, no, kids will, they'll tell you in a second if you're false. Um, I took my uh, godson to, he lives in the Twin Cities, the Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis. I think we saw Pinocchio. And he and I were sitting in the front row and he was, I think, four maybe, three or four. And it was his first play and Pinocchio at some point came over and was right in front of us on the stage and was crying and crying really emotional scene really upset <laughs> a little guy he just turned to me he just went face <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh wow I was like it was she wasn't actually crying. I mean, he wasn't actually crying. And it's like, yeah, sure, fair. It was fake. <laughs> like, oh didn't buy it. God. And then like a child, they know. They, you know, you can feel the difference if someone is really feeling something. As an adult, we're willing to like give it to them. I was like going with it and giving it to Pinocchio. I went, fake. Yeah. <laughs> we say they are the best dramaturgs. Too. Right? That is yeah. for sure. Yeah. So when you were working with the kids to create the videos um, for for the Thanksgiving play, how how did the kids react you know how how did you work with them to to um do those sections yeah so um rachel chatkin was the director on it but i was also working with them as both the writer and a choreographer um so i was on set with everything um we definitely had to with the little ones uh they're doing this turkey song this counting song that well they're dressed as turkeys and this crazy song and they're um that was more just about managing five-year-olds. <laughs> um, it's actually, it's, you know, I get why they do it. Um, there's really strict rules about how much time you can have a five-year-old in costume, how much time they can be on set, et cetera. Um, at times we're like, man, we wish those rules were different because it meant they'd have to come on set and leave and come on set and leave, which is worse for a five-year-old. That made their day so much longer. It's like if we could have kept them an extra half hour on set, we could have been done and they'd gone home, you know? But having them come and go is actually really hard on little people. And so um, for them, it was more just focused on trying to keep them happy. There were tears um, when they had to keep coming back, you know, because they kept leaving, coming back. And they don't understand, you know, that's weird. They think they're done and then they can return. And anyway, uh, I understand why the rules were made. But it's like, gosh, in this case, we could have just, just to do it all at once and been done. They would have been so much happier. Anyway, so that was that was about the older kids, um, the the fifth graders, their piece is much darker um, and they're talking about some really difficult things. They're the ones singing part of the 10 little Indians song. And um, we had really good talks. We talked to them ahead of time on zoom with their parents present and as they desire or in the background at least. And, and we had a really good talk about it and talked about, you know, what the song means, why we're singing it. Um, uh, there is a discussion of a mention of suicide in it. And we talk about that. Um, and it's part of this, children's song um and we talked about you know what that means and that we want to make sure that no one ever feels alone like that and that there's nowhere else to go and and that we're singing these songs because adults still ask children to sing these things and so we're trying to show the adults how wrong this is and that we don't Mm. want to do these things anymore and and um you know think and so we had a really good talk and they asked a lot of questions and then we had the talk again um in the room before rehearsal i mean we're rehearsing before we shot it uh, and they were just they had they really get it and we actually had a reporter from the new york times that was with us for that weekend and 
And when she talked to them, they're just like, oh no, this is why we're, you know, they were so clear. Like, this is why we're doing this. We have to help the grownups because they're still screwing up. Like, <laughs> and we want them to do better. And, you know, we want to make sure people never feel alone. We want to talk about violence and we want, you know, like they just really got it, you know? And I think, you know, I'm sure, you know, as a TYA person, people endlessly underestimate oh. children endlessly. Um, and what they already know about and what they already understand and how they well they can deal with things is um, and process things is pretty intense and pretty deep. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Okay, Tori, we have ten minutes, so we're going. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to move on to our our asking for a friend question, um, and this oh. is based on the MacArthur uh, Genius Award that we looked up just yesterday. Is the prize is eight hundred thousand dollars. Um, so Tori, go for it. Here we go. Someone has given you a suitcase full of $800,000 cash that you must give away. You cannot keep it. Who would you give it to and why? Ooh, uh, well, lots of indigenous people. Um, ooh, you know, I'd spend it all on, um, different indigenous uh, doing what I do, <laughs> which I already do. I mean, I've gotten several, I've gotten a lot of grants that I give. I, I, when I get my part of the grant, I just give it back into the community. Um, I'm privileged to be able to do that. So I, I do. Um, so I, yeah, I just continue doing the work that we do with the indigenous communities to create their own work written. All the work we create in indigenous communities is written by them, performed by them, and they're paid for their work. And so I'd continue to just do that work as much as people until the money ran out. Larissa, um, as we yeah. mentioned before we started recording, oh, yeah. we are teaching artists and we love to uh, inspire folks to get to work. So is there a a writing prompt, a revision strategy, or some tool that you find useful that you would care to share with our audience? Yeah, um, this is one that is not mine, I'm sure. I mean, it's not mine. It's just, you know, many people do it. But I think one of my favorites is to, um, when I'm stumped <laughs> somewhere, I go through as all of my characters and I um, write letters to someone key um, from the character's point of view. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll take one character, I'll write something to, you know, to their issues with their mother, to their mother, or to the, whoever is the biggest conflict in the play, I'll have them write a letter to that person or, and then vice versa, or if they're missing, you know, never had a mother, I'll have them write to the, you know, like, so I, I go through each character. If I'm kind of stumped in an area, it's just such an easy way to break out of, you know, get out of the, that little scene that you're stuck in and open yourself up to what this character's needs and wants and desires and issues are. So, um, I have, you know, I just start with dear and I, and I do them as timed writings. So I'll say like, okay, I set a timer of three minutes and I write, you know, dear mom. And then I just, as the character and I just write and the rule is you cannot stop writing it just splat even if you're just writing the same word over and over and over again you just keep whether it's typing or writing you just keep doing it until um the time is up and I'll do that for all of my characters in a scene that I'm having an issue with and it usually figures things out pretty quick love that and I imagine it gets you sitting in their voice too mm -hmm. yeah. yeah for sure absolutely Ah, uh, Larissa, thank you so much Dang. for spending time with us this oh, morning. Sounds like you have just back to back interviews. So we really appreciate it. And oh, it's just been so wonderful to hear more of your story. And um, wow, I so many things happening. I hope some of them make it this way. And if not, Mabel and I love to travel, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can travel out to see a production. Well, for sure, you guys can hit the Mark Taper Forum this summer. So we'll be, I might fake it till you make it. Is preparing. Yes. yes, and then I know I know Peter right. Pan hits San Diego next year at some point. Oh, so incredible! Oh, yeah. wonderful! Yeah. So, could you now share? where people can find you if you would like to be found and uh, mm -hmm. any 
anything you would like to promote? Obviously, got so we have many a big thing coming up, up right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Thanksgiving Play is opening is in previews on Broadway right now at the Helen Hayes in second stage and um, opens officially April 20th. It's quick, though. It only runs through June 4th. And, and if we extend, we can only extend a little bit because there's a, the next show is already coming in. So um, you got to get out here to see these amazing actors quickly. Um, and then I go to Cornerstone Theater Company with Shun, touring South Dakota, come back here for the uh, Federal Hall, the Democracy Project at Federal Hall in New York City. They'll be running in um, uh, July. Uh, Fake It Till You Make It at the Mark Taper Forum this summer. Uh, for the People this fall at the Guthrie and then Peter Pan. She'll be going all over the, flying all over the country, but starting at the Ordway in St. Paul this uh, December. Amazing. That's where I'll be. And I'm easy to find. I'm the only little fast horse on the internet. So if you can't find me, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Larissa, thank you so much for spending your time. Congratulations on your many successes. And thank you for doing the work that you do and, and really giving us something to think about beyond ourself and, and what (laughs) the service that all of us have a responsibility towards future generations. So I really, really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been lovely talking with you both. I really enjoyed it. Tori. So, <sighs> so you know how I, I, I've mentioned that our, the interview that we did with Amanda Zeev changed the way that I watch theater? Um, yes. I feel that the conversation with Larissa changes the way that I look at the world now. And, and what to think about the future when I'm no longer a part of this world. I, it's it's stuff that I just didn't, I don't think I really considered it until having that conversation with her. So I really, this conversation has stayed with me. I mean, I know we recorded it, like, when was it? Was it March, April? It was, it was months ago. But it has stayed with me, and I just keep thinking about the the things that she has said, and... So I did get something. I got this grant, right? The Far South Border North grant. And the way, the way that she explains her process, like how she goes about working with community, is super helpful for the work that I'm going to be doing. Because I'm going to be going into um, working with a, a community partner to be developing work, but it really has to be community-driven. It can't be just what I want to do. So so hearing her talk about that was really helpful and really um, affirming for the work that I'm about to be doing with uh, this, this new adventure that I'm going on. So um, speaking of new adventures, Tori... I know that. Wait, you... first I want to say congratulations. I didn't know that you were able to publicly oh, yeah. share, so that's great. It went out yesterday. So, the notice, the, the so, so the world knows now. Um, the world knows. Okay. But speaking of adventures, Tori, you and yeah. Sadie are about to embark upon a very exciting adventure. Where are you headed to next? Yes, we are. We are going to be headed to Valdez, Alaska. Oh. Yeah, that's going to be so much fun. It's the Valdez Theater Conference. And so I I feel very fortunate and grateful to be able to go and to share it with my kiddo. So yeah, we're going to see stuff. Hopefully a moose and a glacier not on the road. and waterfall. Is it? Okay, so you're flying into Anchorage. Anchorage and then you have to, it's a it's a significant drive, right? It's a very long drive. It's a 6-hour drive. But you you can go. They, they have other options. You can take a bus, that which is very reasonable. It's like a hundred bucks one way to get on the bus. You can fly in on a little prop plane that seats like six. No thanks. Uh, you can take a ferry. <laughs> nope, not for me. You can take. I, apparently, it's beautiful, but I'm good. Um, you can take a ferry, but I guess the ferry only leaves a couple of times a day and that the timing is, is, is a little sketch. Mm -hmm. So, but again, I hear the ferry is beautiful, but it's, it's one of those things where it could easily be missed if you don't, yeah, the stars don't align. Yes. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, hey, no. I bet you it's going to be beautiful. That drive sounds sounds like it'll be magical, and you'll have Sadie there with you to keep you company, and I think you're going to have a great time. 
Yeah, I was looking at the weather, though. It's funny how I've been waiting for it to get sunny, and it's very cold there. Oh, well. I, well, I mean, cold for me. Uh-huh. Right now, it's it's in the 40s. It's raining. It's going to be raining on Saturday when we're driving. Eh, well, you know, whatevs. <laughs> What can you do? Like, it's Alaska. It's Alaska. We're gonna embrace it. That's gonna be. It's gonna be amazing. We're gonna have a good time. Yeah, yeah. It looks like they rain is is in the forecast there, and it's you know in the forties, and there's no nighttime. <laughs> so what could go wrong? Uh-huh. Nothing. <laughs> Are you bringing a, a sleep mask? I don't think so. Since hitting a certain age, I've had, um, what do you call it? Insomnia. And so, Get that. so I have medication that can help with that. And yeah. Hmm? <laughs> well, great. As long as you have, you know, you got it covered. It's going to be great. And then... All right, then you come back, and then we're, we've decided I have to travel at the end of the month, so we're going to have, like, a week of theater, right? We're just going to try to yes. pack a bunch of stuff in. But we got to get some shows in. Yeah. There's so many good things happening in San Diego at this time. Like Keiko Green has a show. Sharon's Dynasty going up Sharon. at Signet. Yeah, yeah I want to go to Onstage and support our Lonely friends Planet, over there. Right? J- yeah, Lonely Planet by Stephen Dietz, James Darvis, and... Solomon Maya, they're, they're going to be starring in that. And it's a fundraiser, so hoping that peeps can get out and support your local theater, especially the smaller ones, you know? They not only do interesting, uh, edgy selections, but also plays by new by playwrights, local playwrights. Yeah, they, so. yeah, On Stage Playhouse is committed to doing one brand new play by a local playwright every year i mean that is incredible what a gift to the community and the playwrights here so yeah cool well i'm excited to go out and support on stage playhouse yeah me too okay tori well i know that you have things to do and i have news to drop with the people that i said i'm gonna have a play (laughs) play done (laughs) oh well you know, oh well. If it's if it's not ready to come out of the birthing canal, it's not ready. <laughs> I don't know why I just That's said that. That's an image. I know. <laughs> but right. it's just more time to read more things. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. All right, Tori. Well, uh, happy happy. Right. Are you working on anything right now? I am working on a full length. Okay. Get get going, girl. Get going on that full yep. length. I will be thinking of you working on that full length as I'm writing my my paper <laughs> yes yes and yes. I appreciate your patience Tori I really do I again I, I'm it must be frustrating because I know we have all these great episodes but but you have been nothing but patient and graceful as I journey on through this life uh, choice that I've pretty made. it's exciting and the work you're doing is important and yeah so i support that and our listeners listeners out there stay with us. i know you you would all support it too stay with us stay with us stay with us because we have some great interviews coming your way they are so good we do all right all right that yeah keep writing everyone and until next time bye playwright bye playwright Hey Playwright is produced by Tori and Mabel. The voice you hear at the top of the show is Freddie Padilla, at BKSpidey on Instagram. If you like what you heard, rate, like, subscribe, tell your friends, follow us on all the socials, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening!